and um, speak to us. We're starting Advent, and Advent, Advent starts today. So we're starting a, a series on Advent. So we're just going to pray for him. Father God, thank you for Joe and for Nigel. Thank you for your word, and thank you for the message they're going to share with us now. We just pray that you'd open our hearts to receive it, that you'd equip their mouths to speak the words you have for us to hear. Amen. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Great to see you. Just realized I was supposed to bring the clicker here. I'll come and get it. I'll come and get it in a minute. Don't worry. Um, that's fine. Uh, oh, just need a minute. Good. Um, we're starting a new series. Oh, bless you, Jim. You're a legend. Thank you very much. We're starting a new series, although it's kind of piggybacking off the back of the last one. You'll have noticed if you've been around here the last few weeks, we've been talking about fasting. Um, and you may have heard, if you've looked at our newsletter, that we are, um, we are inviting the whole of the church community to join us in a season of fasting um, through Advent. Now, that doesn't mean we're asking you to not eat until Christmas. That's not what we're saying. Um, although, if you, that's your choice if you want to do that. But, um, but no, we, we, we really think this is something that the Lord has invited us to do. And so this morning we're going to unpick that and we're also going to jump into the Advent story. And we're going to start with quite a long part of the Bible. And I'd love you to look it up if you've got it. It's from Luke chapter 1. Um, and it's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth who were the parents of John the Baptist. Um, and we're going to read that story. And in fact, Joe is going to read that story to us. Um, and we're going to read verse 5. Oh, it's up on... Actually, just, just somebody pop the next slide up for me. Um, that's where we're going to read from, 5 to 25, and then we're going to jump ahead and read 57 to 66, roughly. And I'm reading from the message translation of the Bible, so if you don't have that one with you, it's not on your phone or whatever, don't worry, just sit back and enjoy the story. And it begins like this. During the rule of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest assigned service in the regiment of Abijah. His name was Zachariah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Together, they lived honorably before God, careful in keeping to the ways of the commandments and enjoying a clear conscience before God. But they were childless because Elizabeth could never conceive, and now they were quite old. It so happened that as Zachariah was carrying out his priestly duties before God, working the shift assigned to his regiment... It came his one turn in life to enter the sanctuary of God and burn incense. The congregation was gathered and praying outside the temple at the hour of the incense offering. Unannounced, an angel of God appeared just to the right of the altar of incense. Zachariah was paralyzed with fear. But the angel reassured him, don't fear, Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear a son by you. You are to name him John. You're going to leap like a gazelle for joy. And not only you, many will delight in his birth. He'll achieve great stature with God. He'll drink neither wine nor beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he leaves his mother's womb. He will turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to their God. He will herald God's arrival in the style and strength of Elijah, soften the hearts of parents to their children, and kindle devout understanding 
among hardened skeptics. He'll get the people ready for God. Zechariah said to the angel, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman. Top tip, guys. That's probably not the thing to say to your wife. (laughs) But the angel said, I am Gabriel, the sentinel of God, sent especially to bring you this glad news. But because you won't believe me, you'll be unable to say a word until the day of your son's birth. Every word I've spoken to you will come true on time, God's time. Meanwhile, the congregation waiting for Zechariah was getting restless, wondering what was keeping him so long in the sanctuary. When he came out and couldn't speak, they knew he'd seen a vision. He continued speechless and had to use sign language with the people. When the course of his priestly assignment was completed, he went back home. It wasn't long before his wife Elizabeth conceived. She went off by herself for five months, relishing her pregnancy. So this is how God acts to remedy my unfortunate condition, she said. Now we're going to fast forward into the next section, and we're going to be at verse 55. When Elizabeth was full term in her pregnancy, she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives, seeing that God had overwhelmed her with mercy, celebrated with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and were calling him Zachariah after his father, but his mother intervened. No, he's to be called John. But they said, no one in your family is named that. They used sign language to ask Zachariah what he wanted him named. Asking for a tablet, Zachariah wrote, his name is to be John. That took everyone by surprise. Surprise followed surprise. Zachariah's mouth was now open, his tongue loose, and he was talking, praising God. A deep reverential fear settled over the neighborhood. And in, in all that Judean hill country, people talked about nothing else. Everyone who heard about it took it to heart, wondering, what will become of this child? Clearly, God has his hand in this. Thanks, Joe. Um, it's an incredible story, isn't it? This is how our gospel, the gospel of Luke, begins. And the gospel of Luke, Luke is the guy who decided to try and write down the whole of the story of Jesus. Uh, obviously not the whole of it, but the key points of the story of Jesus. And then he went on to write Acts um, the, as the story of the early church. And this is how Luke chooses to begin the story of Jesus Christ. It starts with this couple Faithful people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, really faithful people with a longing in their heart. Luke says that they were righteous, or another word is honorable in God's eyes, that they were careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. But as you know, if you know anything, um, if you've looked into the Bible at all, there was a stigma in their culture attached to being childless. Okay, in that Jewish culture where they grew up, as they got older, it must have been increasingly harder to see their dream of being parents continue to fade. And yet, it says they still faithfully chose to serve God and to trust God and to do Zechariah's job, which was as a priest leading prayers in the temple. His duty was to burn incense in the temple sanctuary on an altar placed right in front of the veil 
which is the veil in front of the Holy of Holies where God's presence himself dwelt. I mean, where he was, um, I think it's called the Holy Place. So he's basically somewhere in between the Holy Place and the Holy of Holies. And um, <clears throat> he was the one priest invited in when it was his turn to burn the incense. And in the Bible, incense is often associated with prayer. So the burning of incense, which they did day and night all the time, was a symbol of the prayers of God's people being offered before God's throne, before his presence. And so Zechariah is taking his turn inside the temple to burn the incense and to offer the prayers. And while he's doing that, there's a crowd outside because they're not allowed in because you have to be a special priest to go in at this point in the Bible. It's not the same now, but that's how it was then. And they're offering this. It's like Zechariah is symbolically taking all of their prayers and bringing them to God. And that's his duty. And so Zechariah, as he does his duty, it's like he's bringing both his own deeply personal prayer, please, Lord, give us a child, and at the same time, the prayers of the whole worshipping community, in fact, on behalf of the whole nation of Israel, because that's what went on in the temple. And that's what Zechariah is doing, and he's done that before. It's his turn. He drew lots. It was his turn to do this duty. One of the priests will be doing this all the time. And so he's, although it's, it's a significant thing he's doing, it's not a new thing for him. It's just something special that priests like him get invited to do. And while he is doing that, kind of going about his duty, something quite dramatic happens and an angel appears. And I do think it's funny that most of the appearances that you read about in the Bible of angels, what's the first thing they always have to say? Don't be afraid. Can you imagine if the first thing you ever had to say when you met someone was, it's okay, don't be afraid of me. Can you imagine that? <laughs> um, the angel gives Zechariah a powerful promise from God. After he's got over his initial shock and calmed down a bit, and like there's an angel next to me, um, the, the angel says, listen, your prayer has been heard, and you are going to have a son. Now, that in itself is incredible. What a miracle. God has heard my prayer. I mean, we pray prayers, and we sometimes think, yes, I think God has heard them. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes wonder if God has heard them, and sometimes I pretty much decide that I don't think he has heard them. Is it just me, or is that you as well? Oh, just me. Okay, fine. Um, interestingly, though, God is not only answering Zechariah's personal prayer here. I mean, yes, he's giving him a son, but it goes deeper than that. I feel like God is answering the prayers of the whole nation, which are, we need a saviour. Now, I don't know if you know, but at this time in history, Israel has been waiting and longing and hoping, and they are desperate to reconcile and reconnect with God. If you follow the history of Israel in the previous um, few centuries throughout the Old Testament, you can read about how they were initially rescued from slavery, then through the desert, then into the promised land. Then all that was going well, and then they were exiled, and then they were returned to exile. And at this point in history, they have been invaded by the Romans. And so they are, um, to use a biblical phrase, under the cosh, right? 
there had not been any prophetic voices for somewhere between three and four hundred years. Now, just think a minute. The oldest of us in this room are not over a hundred, okay? That's our lifetime plus, 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 plus. And the voice of God, as far as they're concerned, seems to have disappeared. There are no prophets kind of talking anymore, bringing, bringing God's voice. It seems like it's all gone dark. And yet, in the writings, in the prophetic voices, is this promised Messiah, a saviour, a Christ figure who will come and will change things and will bring hope and healing to the world and will reconnect God with his people. And they are waiting and they are hoping, but it's like they are in the darkness, prophetically speaking, in terms of their relationship with God, they are in the darkness and waiting for some kind of sign of light. And I think that's interesting because as well as looking back at the longing of God's people between the Old and New Testament, I think that kind of desperation resonates with some people in our world today. I mean, you don't need me to tell you that there are crises all around us. Environmental, financial, political, energy crisis, economics, war, mental health. It's all going on. And whilst the people that you know who aren't here and perhaps don't follow Jesus, might not always admit it. Actually, in our world, we're desperate for some kind of savior, aren't we? We're desperate for some kind of rescue plan. We're desperate for answers. And we are talking in this season about Advent. Oh, I was meant to show you that. That's um, Zechariah encountering the angel. It's very hard looking for pictures of Bible stories on Google. I quite like ones with real people in, even if they are a bit dressed up. I don't know. Um, Advent, which we are celebrating, it means coming. It means something is about to happen. And it's the root word of, it's the, root of the word adventure. And so as we begin our own Advent journey... It's our own adventure with God. And in this church, we are wanting to identify with God's people who were waiting and expectant and desperate for the coming of Christ. And I also want to be identifying with the people who I know who are just in such desperate need all around us. And so back to the story, the angel tells John that not only will they have a son, but they're going to call him John. And there's going to be great rejoicing, and he'll be set apart, and he'll be empowered, and he'll be a man with a mission. And his mission will be to turn the Israelites to God and to prepare them for the coming of the Lord. He will bring about transformation. This is what the angel says. Your son, John, will bring about transformation. He cites the prophet Malachi. He says he will be part of the story of turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. That's a story of reconciliation, which is on God's heart to do. And John, the angel says, will be part of that story. He will lead the way, as we know now, for Jesus. Now, hearing all that is probably pretty overwhelming for Zechariah. It's certainly more than he asked for. I asked for a son. I didn't ask for a savior. But hey, and I think his response is slightly underwhelming. 
fact, I, I think the whole dialogue is quite comical, actually. And you can sort of sense this raised eyebrow of Zechariah's when he says, how can I be sure this will happen? Oh, John's ahead, sorry. How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man, and my wife is also well along in years, is what the translation I said. I'm wondering here, was Zechariah being sarcastic? Was he being playful? Was he bantering with the angel? Or was he perhaps, I wonder, just a bit weary and disillusioned after so many years of unfulfilled hopes and dreams and unanswered prayers? I mean, there's no doubt that Zechariah was making good choices and he was serving God and he was praying, but I wonder if he'd lost some of that energy and passion that perhaps he'd had as a younger man. Whatever the reason, the angel wasn't that impressed. Do you know who I am? The angel said, I'm Gabriel and I was in heaven with God this morning. Okay? Um, And just so you know that this is God, that this is real, you're going to have a sign, and the sign is you're going to be mute, which could mean dumb, or it could mean deaf, or in fact, it probably means both. Now, why did God make, or why did the angel make Zechariah mute? I don't know. Was it like a Harry Potter trick? I'll teach you to doubt me. Shazam! Take that. I can't think that it was like that, actually, but I was just trying to think, why, why, why is that happening? I think God is making a point of clarity. I think God is saying, hey, I know you've waited a long time for this. I know you've almost lost heart. But Zechariah, I am on the move. Not only in your story, but on, in the story of the nation. I'm intervening in this world. I am coming into history to save my people. And you, Zechariah, get to play a key role. And just so you know this is me, I'm going to give you a sign, a physical sign, to demonstrate that this is not just any old day. And I also wonder if perhaps in his mercy, God is actually helping Zechariah. He's actually helping him by giving him some time to process what's going on internally and by protecting him from having to talk it through with all his peers and his community endlessly for the next nine months. I mean, in that culture, it's hard enough to be barren and part of the shame attached to not having your own children is not having an heir to continue your family line. And so normally, if you get a firstborn, even if you have to wait years and years and years for a child, your firstborn is going to be called after your dad. That's just what you do. So Zechariah's son would be called Zechariah. By the way, Zechariah means God remembers. Isn't that lovely? Remembers your prayer. But here's God saying, no, 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 you're not going to call him Zechariah. You're going to call him John. And John means graced by God. And I wonder if not being able to talk or to hear, would have protected Zechariah from being talked out of the craziness of that decision in the eyes of his community. Because culturally, certainly, people would be there going, you can't do that, what are you going to do that for? They would have talked him out of it. And certainly, he would have had to acknowledge and function within these extra limits that were imposed on him, and which forced him to press into God even more in this season of waiting. Perhaps God made Zechariah silent so he couldn't invite other people's doubts and logical explanations to take away from this incredible encounter and this incredible promise. And I wonder if that's ever happened to us. You know, you've had an encounter with God. It was a really holy moment, something that you didn't want to rush away from, something that you couldn't necessarily explain. Or maybe God's given you a promise that just sounds a bit mad when you say it in front of other people. And consequently, they're there doubts and their questions have made you doubt it too. And I think in that nine-month wait, Zechariah would have had plenty of time to ponder this question for himself. 
to question and also for time for God to increase his faith, especially as he started to see his wife change shape. There's something about embracing limits, not knowing or understanding what God is doing, but choosing to trust and waiting for his timing. And for us in this season of Advent as a church family, we will also be embracing our limits. We want to get closer to God. Now, we've spoken about fasting for the last three weeks, and we are inviting you to enter into a season of fasting and praying between now and Christmas. In our, lim- in our case, these limits are self-imposed. This is not something God is doing to us or, or putting us under, but it's an invitation. We're responding to what we believe is an invitation from God to come before him and to reflect on what he's done. And... Um, I love that. I'm just going to jump on past that. We read the end of the story. Um, you know, it says that Zechariah and Elizabeth basically hid away for pretty much most of the time of her pregnancy. It says she went into hiding for five months, and then a month later, Mary visits. And, you know, you know that bit that you always read in the Christmas services when it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel came to Mary. The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. These stories overlap. We'll come to Mary's story um, in a couple of weeks' time. But my question is, oh, and one more thing. I loved what Joe read at the end. The very end of the passage says, a deep reverential fear settled over the neighborhood, and everyone in that country was wondering and asking and talking and saying, what is going to become of this child? God is up to something. What's going on? So how do we respond to this story for ourselves? I've got two quick summaries, and then Joe is going to tell you a story of something that's been going on here. Um, I think there are two questions that I would invite us to ask as we go into a season of prayer and fasting and getting ready for Christmas. And one of them is, what promises has God made to us already? What is it that God has said? You see, God stepped into the life of this faithful couple and he made a promise. And nine months later, it came to pass. What has God said to us? Both individually, what has God said to you? What is a promise over your life? Or what is a prayer that you have been praying that at this time remains unfulfilled? What signs has he given us to show us that he's close and he's listening? And how are we then choosing to respond to that? Because my second question is this. What limits have been placed on us? Maybe You know, I I don't know about you, but I found lockdown really, really challenging. And one of the main reasons that I had to, that I found it challenging was because of the limits that were imposed on me and my life. And I just found that really difficult. And it took me a long time to figure that out and come to terms with it and say, okay, God, I'm all right with this because I love people. And I love being around people. I love working with people. I hate Zoom. Right? I, honestly, I'd sit on Zoom calls and Joe would be nudging me because I can't concentrate on the screen because I like 3D conversations, not 2D ones. And I found that very challenging. Now, God isn't placing that limit on me now, but maybe there's some others. And actually, as well as that, what limits am I choosing to impose on myself? And in this case, I'm going to choose, I'm going to, choose to impose a limit of not eating at certain times of the week on myself. And it's that space, that space of being in a place of waiting, like Zechariah was, 
being in a place of self-imposed limits. And, um, you know, that's the space I really want us to press into over the next few weeks. It is so easy. Let me say that again. It can be so easy to avoid, to avoid discomfort or medicate against pain. As we've learned in the past few weeks, that's why fasting is such a great way to recalibrate against our easy and instantaneous comforts. We feel hungry, so we eat. We feel sluggish, so we drink caffeine. We feel tired or wired, so we default to scrolling on social media or streaming the latest drama. And there's nothing wrong with any of those in themselves. But when we choose to do without them, even just for a few hours a week, well, then we're actively embracing the limits and we're inviting God to come into that space and fill it. And I just want to emphasize one thing. Biblical fasting normally means going without food. And my encouragement and my invitation for all of us is to do that if we possibly can. I know that some people, for medical reasons or other reasons, can't do that, and that's okay. Don't do anything unhealthy. It may be appropriate to fast for some other things. But don't just think, oh, the church is fasting. I'll just do without TV for a night or two. I'm kind of busy anyway, and that will cover it. Because that's not quite the attitude that we're inviting, and it's not quite what I think God is looking for either. This should be a little bit challenging. It should have an impact. It may well be uncomfortable for a while, but God promises to meet us in that place. And if you want a model for this, just look up. I don't have time to talk about it now, but look up the beginning of Mark, the book, the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus is in the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days. And he's so close to God that he can withstand all kinds of temptations. And if you read the next chapter, it says he goes out and he sees uh, demons flee and he sees the sick get healed and he's defeating the enemy at every stage. And I think the power of that comes from the fasting. I'm not inviting you to fast for 40 days. I'm inviting us to fast as and when and how we can do it. When we choose to fast, we're effectively saying, I'm not in control. I don't know the answers and I don't need to know them. But I am choosing to remain limited and uncomfortable and trusting in the God of the universe, my dad, who has the resources of heaven at his fingertips. And I know that he'll have things to say. I mean, imagine you as a parent and your kid comes along and says, I don't want dinner, I just want to be with you. What are you going to say as a parent? No, shut up and eat your dinner. No, you're not. You're going to say, great, come and let's hang out. I want Joe to come and tell us um, a story about something that's been going on here um, that I think is symbolic of what God is doing and has been doing and something which we're delighted about. So this is a story about something that I have been longing and waiting and expectant for. And it's not a baby, just before you start looking at my tummy and wondering. <laughs> Thank goodness we have three. <laughs> Definitely not that. So when we talk about Winchester Vineyard Church, we talk about the people. We talk about being church family together. But as well as that, Winchester Vineyard Church is a building, this amazing place where we sit. And I don't know whether you know, but there are lots of churches, lots of vineyard churches around the country who don't have the privilege of having a building like ours. So that means that every Sunday morning, they load up a van with coffee stuff and PA stuff and worship stuff. They drive it to a venue, which might be a school or a community room or a pub function room. They unload, they set up, they have a service. 
Um, and then at the end, they reverse it all. They pack everything down again. Has anybody kind of been in a church like that? Yeah, loads of you have. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I just forget the privilege and the blessing that we have in this space where we could just able to come and, you know, everything is ready for our teams to do what they need to do. So we feel really grateful and privileged to have this space. And those of you who've been in the church family for a while will know that several years ago, we um, had a big building project. We changed a lot of the fabric of this place. And so the front door didn't used to be on the front. Weird, I know. It used to be on the side. And we put the front door at the front. We created space for our compassion ministry to grow. And we moved things around so that it would better serve the church family as we gather and meet, our kids and youth upstairs, and also the wider community. And you, if you're a guest with us, you may not know, but we have quite a big um, ministry that, that happens with the local community. We call it our storehouse, our compassion ministry. And even this week on Tuesday, we have our um, annual toy fair. So this space will be full of toys and games and books. And local families who um, are struggling financially can come and choose brand new gifts to wrap and give away to their children at Christmas. But we also use this space for other people to come in and hire. And so yesterday, um, a church from Southampton had their away day here in this space. And um, Nigel and I, in fact, came yesterday. We're looking to park in the car park and do something. And we couldn't even get in because it was so full. And earlier this week, we had a group from um, local NHS, the community prescribers, who hired this space. So we had 189 people in this space and in the cafe and in different rooms having meetings. And when we hire the space out, we're then able to invest the profits in God's work here. So money can go towards compassion and the other different ministries that we have. So that's a little kind of update about the church. And when we had the work done a number of years ago, we did loads of great things. But the one thing that we couldn't afford to do that really gutted me was to change the carpet in here. Now, loads of you may not have noticed anything particularly wrong with the carpet, but I invite you just to have a little quick look. Looks like maybe some of you have. And these carpet tiles have done us a really good job. There's a photo. Have we got a photo to go up? These carpet tiles have done a really good job. They were secondhand when we got them about 15 years ago, even before Nigel and I came. They have been washed and scrubbed and cleaned many times. But also various members of us have knocked over coffee and different things on them. And they're just beyond any further cleaning now. And so for a long while, this has been something that's really grieved me. Now, you might think that's a bit of a funny thing to say, but... As a mum, when I invite people into our home, I want to show hospitality. I want them to feel welcome. And I do try and kind of tidy up and make the place look a bit, look a bit okay. It's not a show house by any stretch of the imagination for those who have been. But I do try and make the place look presentable when we have guests. And in the same way, when we welcome people into this space, I love all the things going on around, but I often just kind of look at the carpet and go, oh, look at this, it's terrible. And it's something that I have prayed about a lot. I've often gone to the Lord and had a moan and um, lamented about it and said, God, you, we can't afford to do anything about this. We need you to come and do something. I don't know how you're going to do it. Please, will you come? And it's become quite a joke, um, certainly among the staff team and amongst the trustees, because every time um, there's the opportunity for a conversation, I do ask if there's any money that we could put towards the carpet. Graham's smiling, our trustees. <laughs> He's sick of me talking about it. Um, but it costs a lot of money to carpet this space, as you can imagine. And so it's something that I personally have taken on board and I've just been praying about. We had a conversation less than a month ago and somebody from the church family overheard. 
And what happened was the NHS came in, they had a brilliant day here. They said, we love your venue, but actually the carpet in your main hall is unhygienic. And I thought, <laughs> I'm not sure what they were trying to eat off it or what, what the deal was, but this was obviously a problem for them as well as it was for us. And so some of you are just going, oh, I had never noticed. <laughs> but, but some of us have seen it for a little while. Anyway, this conversation was overheard. And a couple of days later, somebody got in touch and said, uh, we have some money and we would really love to give you a gift towards replacing the carpet. And it needs to be done before Christmas. Now, this for me was, sorry, you know me, I'll cry. This for me was an amazing thing. It's something that I have longed for for a long time. It's something I have spent time praying about for a long time. And now it felt like it, was, it, felt like it was going to happen. So we went, we, um, this place is busy, and we had one window of a week where we could get a carpet fitter in. We had um, started looking out for carpet towels, and as you would imagine, prices have gone up since last time we looked. And so the gift that we were given, although hugely generous, wasn't enough to cover what we needed. And so I put a note on the prayer chat, and I said, I was careful about what I wrote, actually, and I said on, on our prayer chat, Please, will you make sure we get a really good deal for carpet tiles? And we were looking for second-hand carpet tiles like before, which are trickier to fit, but it was what we thought we could afford. And I found a deal on brand-new carpet tiles that we couldn't really afford, but that looked great. And those of you who are eagle-eyed will see that they've arrived and they're in the back of the hall. Because the story is that as I was wrestling a couple of Sundays ago in the afternoon... And wondering what to do about this. And knowing there was a shortfall in this really generous gift we've been given. I got a text from somebody out of the blue. who said, I know you're looking for a good deal on the carpet tiles. But I feel like I need to give you a gift towards it. And so they gave us an extra gift. And then two other people who I don't know also gave extra gifts. So that now we have enough to carpet the church. And so next Sunday, after the service. You can, yeah, do clap. Thank you. So next Sunday after the service, we're going to invite you to help us stack the chairs because we've got a team of people who are coming to lift the tiles and we're going to be getting rid of those so that on Monday the 5th of December, our carpet fitters can come and start to fit the carpet in time for our Christmas carol celebration in time for Christmas. Isn't that glorious? But you know, that's not really the story. I mean, for me, that's an amazing answer to prayer. But as I was pondering over it, and as I, honestly, I've been walking around going, Lord, I can't quite believe you're doing this. I feel like this has been something that's been a burden for me for a long time. And actually, you're coming to do something about it. And he, I asked him why I'd been so bothered by it. And he said, you've been really offended about the stains on the carpet. And I thought, yeah, I have. This has really been offended, an offense to me. And that's why you've prayed about it. But I sense that he said to me, so, Joe, you've seen me moved. You got offended, you prayed, you saw me move. Now, are you going to get offended about the things that really offend my heart? And as I thought about it, I thought about our community, and I thought about our city. And I started to see some of the things that I think are a real offense to God. The thing that comes to mind for me, actually, is our young people's mental health. Because over the past couple of weeks, pretty much every other day, every third day, I've been talking to somebody, either in church or outside, neighbours and friends that I know, about their children or their grandchildren who don't want to go to school because of anxiety, or who can't do a whole day at school 
who are just feeling stressed. Not by any fault of their own or their parents, but because of the ravages of COVID, the way it's impacted their mental health, all the stuff that's going on. And I sense that the Lord said to me, Joe, this is an offence to me. Not that those young people are, of course they're not. But the fact that their lives are being destroyed by this is an absolute offence to God. But the amazing thing is, we know that when Jesus comes, when the kingdom comes, things change. We know that he brings hope, he brings life, he gives identity, he brings a new start. And I just sense the Lord said, so will you partner with me? Will you pray and will you see what I ask you to do to change that? I've done the carpet. It took a while, but I've done it. And say, will you partner with me with this next thing? And as you know, we've got a bus in the car park. We've got a youth bus waiting to go into schools to be used as a mobile classroom to help young people with their mental health. But we've had all kinds of challenges with it. We've had all kinds of problems getting the mechanics right. And so I'm now starting to pray really, really intently about that because I think that's one of the ways that the Lord wants to replace a bit of the carpet. And my prayer really is that during this time of Advent, as we're waiting and longing and expecting, and as we pray and fast, that God will talk to us and that he'll show us the stains on the carpet near us. It might be there's a thing for us all to do together about mental health for young people. But it might be that there are different things for different ones of us, something to do with isolated older people who live near you or an economic thing or something to do with the environment. But as we ask him, he will show us and he does want to come and move and act in the same way that he did with Elizabeth and Zechariah, in the same way he is doing with our carpet. He wants to come and bring change and make things new. And the invitation with us for us is will we step in and join in with him? Thanks, Joe. It's an exciting story, isn't it? I think that's fantastic. I think the timing of it's awesome. And um, it feels like a sign from the Lord, actually, as we already were embracing this idea that perhaps what the Lord was inviting us to do was to fast and pray through the Advent season. I don't have much more to tell you. I just want to say, have you got my slides? Can you just put the next one back on, please? Uh, thank you. This, as we... As we pray and fast through Advent, okay, we, you may as individuals, we may as individuals have things to pray for, standing orders, things that we need God to do in our lives and people around us. As a church, there are two things that we're asking God for. We're asking him for clarity of vision and purpose. One of the questions that we're asking, as Joe was just saying, is what is on your heart, God, for our communities? Actually, what do you want us to do? What are those stains that are offending you? And what is our part to play in seeing the kingdom transformation happen locally and further afield? There's, there's something about what God wants to do here in Winchester, and there's something about what God wants to do, us to do further afield. We've got a speaker coming from IJM, International Justice Mission, next Sunday to talk about what God is doing um, much more globally. So, but that's one of the questions that we're asking God. What is it? Is it young people's mental health? And what is it that we need to do about that? What is it that you need us to do about that? And what is it that you want to do? And then the other thing we're seeking God for are the resources to fulfill the vision. We're praying for more people. We're praying for more disciples, more leaders. We're praying for more staff. You'll know that we've got um, a job advert out of the minute for 
um, new staff members. Um, we're praying for finances. We're praying for an increase in our regular giving. There is quite a gap between where we think we need to be and where we are. Well, I'm not going to talk about that in detail now. If you are part of the church and you haven't had the chance to really get into the sort of giving thing and become part of that story, we'd love to chat to you afterwards or just challenge you to go away and pray about that. Um, but also, as well as that, we're also praying about special funding for our compassion. Do you know, the things that we are doing in our city, it's funny, but other people really want to pay for them. And so we've sent off a whole bunch of funding bids this year. I mean, literally got an email on Friday, just short of £10,000 given to our Compassion Fund. It funds a staff member for next year. I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> that isn't the biggest bid that we've got out either. So keep praying. We're, we're praying for even more because we just know that this, what we're trying to push into here is on God's heart, and those things feel like signs. And if you add up the money that's been given for the carpet and the money that's been given from Compassion, you were telling me this morning, what's the figure? Somewhere in the region of £24,000 in the last less than three weeks. Isn't that amazing? And that feels like a sign to me. I mean, honestly, we need a bit more. <laughs> but, but that feels like God is on, on, on the case. And that's just awesome. So my encouragement to us as we step into this season is to do three things. Advent is about remembering and celebrating the Christmas story. It's about staying close to Jesus now and pressing into being close with him through prayer, through fasting, through Bible reading. And it's about inviting him to do more. And that's what we're going to do. And to kind of seal the deal on that, Right now, we're just going to celebrate communion together. So those people who are due to come and help with communion, we'd love you to come up and, and, uh, and do that. Thank you. That would be amazing. And I just want to read um, a little part from the Bible. So come, do come and, and, and get ready, guys. That would be fantastic. Now, if you are a visitor to this church, um, if you are someone who loves and follows Jesus, you are welcome to take communion here. We are uh, dippers and, well, they're not ripping because they've been ripped already, look. Um, just dippers. So this is how we do it. We were at an event the other day and we were told we were dippers and ri rippers and dippers. And not sippers. That's the point. <laughs> anyway, what I mean by that is come, get some bread, dip it in the juice or wine. Is, uh, is one of these gluten-free? This one here on this side, great, fantastic. Um, look, why don't we stand together and I'm just going to read a, a small part from the Bible and we're going to pray. Um, Joe was talking about stains and the Bible talks about the stain of sin. And in 1 John he says this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And Jesus in the book of Mark says, as he was, says, as they were eating at the Last Supper, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank of it and he said, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. And so Jesus took bread and wine and he symbolically said, this represents me, my death, which is going to cover everyone's sin. 
and enable kingdom transformation life to happen and freedom. And so when we take the bread and wine, which just seems like a very small symbolic gesture, what we're actually doing is remembering as we were instructed to by Jesus, remembering what he did for us, celebrating and giving thanks. And in this moment, this would also be a great time to just talk to God about whatever it is that he's inviting you to do in this next season, the response that he might be inviting you to make as we as a church press in for more of what God wants to do, more of what God wants to do in his city, more of what God wants to do in us. And as we come close and we choose to fast and and pray and just spend time with the Lord together, let's just say to the Lord, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. As I take the bread and wine, I celebrate you, I thank you, I thank you for my salvation, and I'm in. Lord Jesus, may this bread and juice and wine be to us, your body and blood. As we celebrate and we remember, we could never repay, but we do give thanks and we do offer ourselves again. Holy Spirit, come and and make that real for us as we take communion now. Amen.